0: everybody, and welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast for July. This month, we're going to be talking about tropes, the tropes that we love and the stories that we love that use them. But before, as always, we're going to do our introductions. So I'm Valerie. Kowebe. Elise. Sarah. Erin. Great. Thanks, ladies. So to start off this conversation, I figured we should all start on the same page. And that's a pretty simple question. What is a trope? So... I actually went on to the TV Tropes website because they are kind of the exhaustive compendium of all tropes, even some that I think are a little too obscure to really be tropes. According to them, in storytelling, a trope is a conceptual figure of speech, a storytelling shorthand for a concept that the audience will recognize and understand instantly. Above all, a trope is a convention. It can be a plot trick, a setup, a narrative structure, a character type. You know it when you see it. So, does, any, does that strike a chord with anyone? What is it about tropes that we like so much?
1: They're the skeletal structure of storytelling. You can't just tell a story that isn't about something that people are at least somewhat familiar with. Mm-hmm. Even if you end up telling a story that's way outside of the normal realm, There has to be this underpinning that people are familiar with. Right. You want to start off with something people know. I think
2: the ideal in storytelling is not so much to create something completely new that nobody's ever seen before, but often to put a twist on something that people are familiar with and take it in a direction that people
0: aren't expecting. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of the familiarity and the ability to connect with the stories, that makes it so popular. Is that what we're kind of saying?
3: And humans like patterns.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really fair point. We like what's familiar. Mm-hmm. Well, at
3: first I sort of had a reaction to the, you know it when you see it. And I was like, that seems a little lazy of a definition. But then I was like, oh, of course the whole point is to be able to start a story or a TV episode. And you're like, oh, this is going to be the one where dot, dot, dot. Right. And you can kind of know, like, this will be the body switching episode, or this will be the whatever. Right. That you know
1: who the killer is at the beginning, but we have to figure out why the Mm -hmm. murder happened, for
0: example. Or the shrinking episode. Mm -hmm. So then, since we sort of already talked about the fact that tropes are familiar, and we like things that are familiar, then, ladies, which tropes are the ones that resonate with each of us? the most. I find that I like certain things and when you find that you like certain things you start to see a pattern in the things that you like and for me that's the tropes. So I thought it would be fun for each of us to talk about our favorite tropes some examples of those and maybe some examples of where they use those tropes in new and interesting ways. So Erin why don't you tell me about your favorite kind of trope? Sure. So I was thinking about stories
1: that I really like and and connect to, too. And the one that came to me was I like stories about parallel worlds, universes that either are next to ours. And so an example would be Narnia. You go through the wardrobe and suddenly you are somewhere else or Magic Kingdom for sale, stories like that. Or similarly, stories that start out where you think you're in the world that you know, You think you're in this earth, and then something is slightly off, and you realize you're in a completely different world. And so an example would be Chew by John Layman and Rob Guillory, which is a comic where it starts out like a typical detective procedural, and then there's this one little thing about chickens that sets off a whole (laughs) realm of craziness. And what is that thing about chickens? (laughs) that there has been a deadly avian flu, so they are literally illegal to consume. And there's a whole black market chicken thing. Mm, that's
0: amazing. <laughs> and then it gets
1: weirder and weirder from there. But you start out in the known and familiar, and then you realize you're so far, far away from it.
0: So it's not just you liking parallel universes because you have the opposites, like the bizarro situations, or maybe like parallel universes where all the guys have really awesome soul patches. <laughs>
1: No, no. My initial love of them actually started because I liked this idea that you'd be in your regular, normal world and then find something magical. Mm -hmm. I was always interested in stories like that. Even the secret garden where Mm -hmm. it's not a different realm, but she finds this key and then there's this garden and it, even though it's still the regular world, it feels really magical. Uh Uh-huh. But I particularly liked this idea that you could go someplace and be someplace totally new and and just have this amazing adventure. Mm Mm-hmm. So, does anybody else connect to this? Definitely. Not just a monologue here? (laughs) I
2: think this is not just parallel worlds. I think it's what's also known as portal fantasy, Mm. where you go from starting off in the normal world and then pass through into magical world. I think that's kind of included in what you're talking
0: about. I think that's a flavor of the trope. Mm -hmm. It's Harry Potter. Right? It's exactly that thing where you think that the world is a place, and then all of a sudden, you're a wizard, Harry. (laughs) Right? But it is. It's this idea. And I think that's really an exciting idea, right? Mm -hmm. That what you thought you knew isn't how things truly are. Right. Right. And they're both
3: better and a little scarier. It's used in horror a Mm -hmm. lot, too. Yeah. Mm Yeah. I was just thinking I was like, actually, now that we think about it that way, so many things I like are that because there always is the reveal that the supernatural actually exists
4: mm-hmm. and the or world just, is
3: not what you thought it was
4: or just a strange. Right? Yeah. like I was thinking me being John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah. no one is looking for the portal that throws them out on the Jersey Turnpike and yet <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. that to be there too. Or, you know, you wake up and everybody is a little bit off in some way. Mm. And maybe you're not in your own universe and it's not terribly strange or magical, but you're not in the right place. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot in short stories Mm -hmm. that I read. I like a lot of speculative fiction. Mm. I was listening to a retelling
2: of a Phil K. Dick story called The Hanging Stranger, I believe, which is. On a similar line where this guy goes to work, he's in the basement of his job, he comes out, there's a man hanging from a lamppost in the center of town, and everyone seems fine with it. Hmm. Mm. So yes, that sort of, it's just a little off and you don't know what's going on kind of thing is pretty common in horror speculative fiction. Mm.
0: Do you have a favorite example of this trope? Like if I wanted to read the best, in your opinion...
1: There's a few really good ones. I'm enjoying The Magician's TV show right now, but I liked the books way more. Mm -hmm. I loved the books, and that's taking the Narnia tale and really taking it to its Scary, logical situation. Yeah, yeah. I haven't
3: read the books, but I'll put in a second plug for the show, is just a delight.
1: The I show's think. a little more fun. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a little more humorous. The novels are much more about, we'll use the other meaning, the literary meaning of trope. The novels are more of an allegory for growing mm. up, mm. right? And this idea that you can go to this magical world and kind of hold on to your childhood and not being responsible mm. forever. But then it turns out you're running the magical world, and maybe you do need to be responsible for it, too, after all. Mm. So that's a really good one. Anything by Kelly Link. I feel like a lot of Kelly Link stories fall into this pattern, and particularly there's a very creepy one called The Stone Rabbits, where these people buy a house, and there's these stone rabbits on the front yard, and progressively things get
0: stranger and stranger and stranger. Mm. That one's creepy. Kelly Link is... A trip. I've only read one Kelly Link book and I couldn't even tell you which one it is anymore Most because people have read Magic for Beginners. At I, but I basically <laughs> compare reading Kelly Link to being suspended in midair mm. and having no idea, like in a fog. I mean, it's thrilling and exciting because you hear stuff off in the like around you and whatever, but like the, the weirdest feeling. And I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna read her mm. again. It was a very almost like a tactile experience of reading her. She's
1: mm. intense. <laughs> I think good stories that do that more subtle type of parallel mm. world do that to you because you mm. start to question your own world.
0: Yeah. Mm. I mean, I guess in some ways people are like, yeah, that makes me want to read her, so please do <laughs> if it does. But
1: <laughs> It's not for everybody.
0: No, I mean, it's one of those things where it was an experience that I think I like. I've never read anything else like it. It wasn't bad. It's just that it's like, I got to be in the mood for it. I got to like take my time, and choose wisely.
1: <laughs> that is super fair. The Handmaid's Tale could be another mm-hmm. one, although that's going more into alternate universe, Ooh. I think, entirely.
0: Alternate history, mm-hmm. alternate future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you're next on our list. Tell Mm -hmm. us about your trope.
2: One thing that I wanted to bring up before I get into mine is that the thing I find helpful about TV Tropes' website is finding that term for this thing you keep seeing, but you don't have a label for it. Mm. And I think that's what TV Tropes is really good at. One of my favorites in that sense is, I believe it's called, But for me it was Tuesday? And... (laughs) Part of the reason I like it is because of where its name comes from, which is the Street Fighter movie, which I've never seen.
3: Oh, God, I think I have.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is, from what I've heard, not a great movie. It has this one kind of great line from Raul Julia. He's playing the villain, meeting with one of the heroes, She's telling him, you, you came to my village, you destroyed my village. You remember that, now I'm coming to get you. And he basically says, no, I don't remember this remotely. The hero is understandably a little perturbed by this. And he says something along the lines of, my dear, the day bison came to your village was the formative experience of your life. But for me... It was Tuesday. Mm. You have these villains who, Mm. I can't remember one specific village I destroyed. That's my week.
1: Right, that's just who I am. That's taking out
2: the garbage for me. (laughs) (laughs) The idea of that sort of asymmetrical relationship between a hero and a villain, where one of them is really focused on the other, and the other just barely realizes that that person exists.
1: Well, it happens in real life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes you're so upset or mm-hmm. so excited by something, and the other person's like, How, what are you talking about? Right, right, <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, it's like the Yankees and the Red Sox, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Red Sox are like, we hate you, Yankees, you're the worst. And the Yankees are like, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: We got our first sports reference, (laughs) (laughs)
1: ladies. Right then, though.
3: <laughs> All right, so the epic
0: rivalry that was only really the epic. one-sided. <laughs> yeah, yeah the one-sided epic rivalry. I'm familiar with it, but now I'm trying to come up with ones off the top of my head, like other examples.
2: I'll get to the one that I like, which isn't as interesting, or oh, I can't put a name on mm. that of a trope. But I think another one I find useful is the flat Earth atheist, which is the person who lives in a world where there's magic and gods, and the, the gods are very present. And and clearly interacting with the world, and for whatever reason, they still don't quite believe. Mm. So basically, Hmm. somebody who is an atheist in a world where that makes about as much
0: sense as believing that the world is flat in our world. Okay. I need examples, because I am actually kind of unfamiliar with this one. The only
2: example I have is kind of a negative one someone who could be a flat-earth atheist but isn't, which is Sokka in Avatar The Last Airbender. There are points in the story where he's kind of incredulous about stuff, but you realize he's got a line. Like, he doesn't believe in fortune-telling, he doesn't necessarily believe in seeing spirits on a daily basis when you're walking through a swamp, but obviously, to him, airbending and firebending and waterbending and such are everyday occurrences
1: he lives in a world that is miraculous to us but he doesn't believe in other miracles Mm -hmm.
2: okay so that's kind of a line
0: okay
1: which many of them do in fact the other miracles are also true in context right so it is a little weird because he'll accept the ones that he knows are real but the ones that require a little Mm -hmm. more faith so i I think
2: that reflects how normal and everyday the idea of bending is in this world that that's as acceptable as the fact that the earth is round, as opposed to some of the more magical stuff that he's not as quick to
4: accept. That's a lot of nuance for a cartoon. That show is really yeah, nuance. That show has like, a lot of nuance <laughs> in it. <laughs> Before
2: I get too far afield, the trope I really love, and this is not going to shock most of you, is the Beauty and the Beast trope. Just anything that remotely has that storyline, that imagery, you've pretty much got me hooked.
0: So love as a transformative power? Not
2: even necessarily love as a transformative power, but love where physical appearance is a really big obstacle. More so than just you're not conventionally attractive. It's You don't look like or you're literally not the same species as me. This is going to be hard for that reason. And specifically romantic love. Most of the time, yeah. But I'm interested in all kinds of twists on it. And there are all kinds of twists Mm -hmm. on it happening nowadays, especially.
0: Like?
2: Well, I don't know if you're caught up, but both of us have been reading that comic version of Beauty and the Beast by Megan Kearney. It's a webcomic, though it's available in print as well. That is... A little more of a straight take on the story, but with a slightly modern view in terms of mm. addressing some of the problematic nature of the classic story. Mm. And in more of a twist ways, there's a version in ExoSquad. Gargoyles is a big one oh, that's yeah. pretty obvious mm. about it. There's no end of it. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to even be narrative. You know, mm-hmm. Even just artwork hmm that reflects that theme is something that I get really
0: interested in. Hmm. Interesting. I'm staring across the table for me, which means, Elise, it is now your turn.
3: Actually, I think this is a good dovetail, because the trope that I like is that enemy-to-ally trope. You start off hating each other, and ultimately you end up allies in some way. And actually, to the opposite of where Sarah, you said you are attracted to the romantic love aspect of it, I actually like it best when it's friendships. I f- friendship things like so hard. <laughs> so, one of the more obvious and recent examples of this trope would be, but it is a more romantic one, is in Buffy. So, Buffy and Spike. When the show starts out, Spike's one goal in life is to kill the Slayer, and by the end of the show, he's in love with the Slayer. Mm. And I liked that, and I enjoyed that, and that was fun. But I think where I like this trope better is where it doesn't end up being romantic, but where they become, like, bestest friends. So
0: buddy films. Yeah.
3: Like that sort yeah, of... Yeah, like, I love like a buddy, buddy road buddy trip. trip. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, man. Game of Thrones. I would watch the Brienne of Tarth, Jamie Lannister roadshow forever. That's what I so loved... <laughs> I don't ever want them to get together. I just want them to be best friends forever. And I think that's
1: what gets tricky about the cross-gender ones. Mm. Yeah. A lot of times the writers push it into a romance.
3: Yeah, Doctor Who. To <laughs> well, and that's why I like it so much. It's because it's like, look, you're doing a new thing and you're showing. Particularly because the heterosexual relationships are more vastly shown on mainstream media that you always push it to romance. But it doesn't have to be. They could just be friends. Yeah, well, and that's actually, in some cases, more interesting. When it gets pushed
1: into romance, there's a really troubling undercurrent there, suggesting that some sort of enmity and fighting is actually a yeah, basis is, of is love. Dream. Yeah, yeah. Like... We fight because we're so into each other. Mm-hmm. When it's like, maybe you were just being a dick. And right. then you stop being a dick, Jamie
3: Lannister. Yep. And then I liked you more. And then you became friends. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Foebe, for those who don't know, we met Foebe through Fan Fiction Theater, which is an event that we do at Kamikaze. And she's a writer. And as I was reading your bio, the term you used was broship right, yes. Shuri and Bucky, and I was like, bro ship, that's an awesome term, that's totally what i I was like, that's the thing, like, that's the thing, because I got, yes. totally got, you don't ship them romantically, right. you ship them as friends and partners and people who can appreciate each other in a different way than a traditional ship. Right,
0: imagine that,
3: hanging yeah. out
4: with friends. Yes.
0: And I know that I just called out Doctor Who for doing it the wrong way, but... I will also give Doctor Who credit for doing it the right way because if I have any opportunity to talk about Donna being the perfect companion for the Doctor, I'm going to. Because they were friends and they evened each other out in this way and when they stickered with
3: each other once their relationship was established, even that was done with an affection. Well, and I think particularly with Ten... It was nice to have a companion that, for once, the base of the relationship with the companion was not about their attraction to him. Yes. So, of course, Donna is also my favorite companion as well because it gave me my... I mean, they weren't enemy to ally, but it did give me that friendship.
2: The thing I find interesting with Enemy to Ally, I think this is possibly a little off of what you're saying for the trope that you like, but I like the idea of reform. Mm. I think that can be interesting if it's handled well. Valerie's going to have to correct me if I'm wrong on this because, as she knows, I haven't ever really seen a full episode of Sailor Moon, but I've seen bits of them. I think in the first series there were some points where some of the villains reformed, And I think the first time I saw it happen, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That's a good idea. And then you had that villain also bringing her friend along. And I was still on board with this because that seemed like, okay, they have this emotional connection to each other and that's inspired this other person to reform. Then it just seemed like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, They were going to do it with basically all of the villains. And then I got bored.
0: (laughs) I have to admit to never actually having seen every single Sailor Moon series and film and whatever. But you're not wrong. I mean, for me, that was a huge part of the appeal is that Sailor Moon at her most sort of Sailor Moon-ness, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, fighting for love and friendship Mm -hmm. and whatever, right? That transcends so much that she does get empathy from her villains Mm. a lot so there's a ton of examples of that but also Sarah Moon has everything that's why I was so crazy about it when I was younger they had so many things that I had never seen before Mm. but yes that is definitely a part of it no one is irredeemable then yeah and that's a really really
1: misguided
0: right Mm. and let's be honest when you're a I discovered Sailor Moon when I was a teenage girl and filled with angst or whatever. And this idea that nobody's a lost cause. Mm. It's actually a really beautiful idea, especially in high school.
3: Oh, teens. Oh. <laughs> it's an idea that showing
1: up a lot in Steven Universe. Well, I think Steven is very similar to Usagi in that way. That yes. His... Steven is basically a male magical girl. But I feel like, at least, we haven't talked about what's got to be one of your favorite enemy-to-ally stories. Because if you're not
3: going to talk about Dean Winchester... Oh, yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> believe me. Dean Winchester is on the list. And actually, the one that <laughs> I chose surprised. is the Dean Winchester Crowley relationship. That, that, yeah, that was what I was thinking. Yeah, which is just a delight to watch. Actually, and one of my other favorite character tropes is this sort of lovable loser where you have a character who they just try their hardest to make things better, like save the world, do whatever, but they kind of can't get out of their own way and they always end up messing it up, and that's very much a Dean Winchester character. And then you have him ultimately sort of bringing around the character who is the king of hell Mm. to his cause, helping him first sort of begrudgingly and then you sort of realize that he actually, ultimately, they respect each other-ish and have this friendship. Well, it's the ultimate redemption arc. If you can make the literal king of hell yeah, into a pretty good guy. Frenemies. And, yeah, it is kind of the frenemy trope. Because I don't know if you'd say he becomes a pretty good guy, but ultimately, he has a redemption arc, for sure. And yeah. again... Spoiler alert! I guess if you are not caught up on Supernatural and you <laughs> and you care, of show. yeah, his last act is one that is a redemption act. And so you take this character who, for I don't even know how many seasons, was actually, if not the main villain, always a periphery villain, and probably mm-hmm. always having an interaction with the main villain. And he gets to sort of go out as a hero.
4: Yeah, and I hear what you're saying is a lot about power, which I hadn't really thought about before. Hmm. How much power plays into these the trading off of power.
3: Yeah, the power dynamic for sure is a fun thing about it because you watch the seesaw Mm -hmm. of the power dynamic.
4: I didn't even know Redemption happened on television or in movies ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah! (laughs) I apparently have missed the whole thing. I guess I don't recognize it.
3: It seems to
2: be a little more common now, but I think that was one of the things that I responded to with the little bits and pieces I saw of Sailor Moon was that it wasn't that common for
3: me to see them. If you watch genre television, I think it actually is. It's a trope in that. And I guess you could tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I feel like when I was
0: younger and we saw things, it was more about mercy Mm -hmm. and less about empathy. And I feel like that's... The shift. Whoa. Now we're seeing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. You
1: got forgiven, whereas mm. now you get understood.
3: Exactly. Well, and you get forgiven only when you're at your weakest. Mm. Right? When the power has yeah, totally Yeah, when shifted. you, yeah. Like, with the villain is, like, literally groveling on the floor. Mm. That's when you're forgiven.
4: hmm Wow, I see major
3: parallels to life. (laughs) I think another
2: thing that's happened is there's been a really big shift towards continuing storytelling in television, even where you didn't see it a lot, like in animation, for example. And when you have that potential to tell a story that's going to be longer than half-hour, hour episodes... Then you get more nuance in characters, and I think there's more potential for that redemption and reformation to happen than there is when it's just an episodic half-hour show where everything needs to reset back to where it was
4: for the next
0: episode. That is a good point. All right, so that leaves us now with Fo'eve and her tropes. What did you want to talk about?
4: Well, I discovered that my tropes all are from childhood. I thought that I would find things that were more current, but they're not. And they're actually children. <laughs> the one that really i was stuck in a whirlpool of reading as a child was this orphan child or single child raised by animals mm. i've recently heard this referred to as the white boy and his dog books <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many of them oh wow like there's Ribsy, there's strider there's this one called a dog called lucky
0: tide which is all about logging
2: isn't that Lee's favorite movie genre?
0: A Boy and His Dog? That yeah. is his absolute favorite movie yeah. genre. <laughs> Sometimes it's a girl and her wolf.
4: Sometimes. Yeah.
0: But often,
4: at least when I was a kid, it was the boy and the dog. And then there was this one in particular where the boys are raised by badgers.
3: Hmm,
0: that's hilarious. That's yeah, amazing, and I want to know what that is.
4: Incredibly <laughs> unlikely. How you even fit in a badger set as a child. All of it is just ridiculous. But part of it, I think, was just that I was really into animals and I had this big love for the non-human animal and what they're up to and what their choices are and what their decisions are about. And generally, there's a human in there. to do the contrast. So I kind of mm-hmm. like that trope of what the human's capable of and what the non-human animal is capable of and like how that goes together or doesn't go together. I guess at that point, nobody wanted to write books about kids doing anything else. So it was just like dogs, cats, dogs, cats, children. <laughs> Full spread. So there's a lot of boys, so there I started reading The Punky
0: Girl Child, and there's yeah. like a ton of these. Yes. Did you name this trope yourself? Because that is a wonderful... I named it myself. As soon as I saw that you were going to be talking about The Punky Girl Child, I knew exactly what you are talking about, and I got real excited. Yes. <laughs> I named it The
4: Punky Girl Child Charms the Crap Out of Everyone, It's yes. Physically Strong, and It Has Unusual and Defining Physical Features. Yes. Yeah, so that's like Pippi. It's Madeline. It's Anne Green Gables. It's Little Orphan Annie. It's Jubilee from X Men. Sort of slides in there. Yeah, Pepper Ann was this cartoon that was on, and maybe the Austin. Oh, the I know
3: Pepper Ann, and I love that you put that on there. Yeah, I was that's like, that's really I can't exciting. Pepper Ann,
0: Punky <laughs> Brewster, I go yes. on forever. Punky Brewster, they never
3: have siblings.
4: They're always, like, only children. Yeah. Good point. Well, Punky's a
2: sort of orphan left at the mall by her mother and was not a a terrific mom, apparently. Well,
1: and Pippi lives on her own, but she's surrounded by other kids. (laughs) Yes, right. Yes. And a lot
4: of redheads. Yes, a lot of redheads (laughs) in this some kind of redhead child abandonment issue that was (laughs) happening around the time when these books were being (laughs) written. So that, it was a nice contrast to The Boys and Dogs. And I liked, in particular, as part of that trope, there is this exploration of the feminine. Even if the child is not necessarily feminine, it kind of comes with the kid. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's this, like, what is it to be female? What is power? How do I express my power? Can I do it in my body? Does it have to be verbal? Do I manipulate people? (laughs) Do I not? All of that comes with this trope and this idea. And I still, in my head, I'm like this kid. Even though I have many years now <laughs> on top of the child years. But I just really identified with that. I think a lot of people do, so I keep coming back. So I have to ask if you have read Patrick Ness's The Knife
1: of Never Letting Go. I have not. Never- <gasps> because it is both a boy and his dog story what and a punk and a girl punky girl story. Story. yeah what Whoa. It, is, it is taking those two tropes and mashing them up together beautifully but really sad i was oh. saying, extra warning oh. it's a crying book no no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> really really sad
3: they're making a movie actually they're making a movie right now and uh, the dog is not even the saddest part i think tom holland is gonna be Whoa. the boy
0: yeah, I won't be mind. reading that book or seeing that movie.
3: Yeah, I... <laughs> oh, really? You
0: are missing out. We yeah. don't
2: have time to get into tropes we don't like, but I think for both me and Valerie, if anything happens to the dog, yeah, sad dog a is a trope that we handle. can't Yeah, do. Yeah, the
0: dog dies is not yep. a trope I enjoy. No. Yeah. I don't know why they It has...
4: Have.
2: I forgive Wes Anderson for as often as he's done it for some reason, but it has to be really, really... Good otherwise, and have a lot of things I like for me to
1: forgive anything going sad dog. Well, it's also a story about toxic masculinity and power. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's well worth reading. I'm sure it's quite good. good. I I do
0: have a special reserve for one sad dog thing a year. I, I feel like that's a worthy
3: spend then, right? If you're well, going to spend your one sad dog not watch it.
0: Here. I did attempt to watch Isle of Dogs. I stood up and I said, I hate this movie and I hate everything about it. And I hate you for making me watch it. So I didn't actually watch that whole movie, so I might still have a bit left Space in there. Left in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't mean to derail and
1: get us off onto this, the dead dog trope. I just wanted to find <laughs> out
4: that.
1: Yeah. But that
0: is
4: yet one that I avoid. It
3: is a major trope though. I yeah, mean, it is. And that's actually tough within that genre. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. as you were saying, a white boy and his dog, the place that my head went first was where the red fern was. Yeah. 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 Right. And I was like, nope, like, boo. like, like No like, boo. Or like old yeller. Yeah. Like old, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Through, yeah. 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 So yeah. often that trope for some bad reason ends with the boy having to kill the dog which maybe is a toxic masculinity the thing ponies, i don't know same thing yeah. they have to
4: kill the pony why does yeah. the child survive well we're getting into
0: that. well or the other piece of that too is the dog sacrifices himself or uh, herself for yeah yeah the boy girl human
4: for better or for worse the comic strip had <laughs> a dog sacrifice itself for another dog which was a really interesting twist on that
3: that's pretty heavy for like Whoa. the Sunday funny.
4: Uh, it, it really impacted a lot of people. I think this destroyed people because this dog was in the comic strip for years. I mean, wow. And, but anyway, I'll go back to my last one. Is I call the gentle male vagabond who drinks tea and kicks butt.
0: I love the name. Yeah, I want you to name all the tropes from now on. <laughs> I want examples make my for mess. this
4: one, because this sounds lovely, and I want... It is really nice, but I mean, it's not always tea drinking, but the first one that I can remember really is Shane, mm. which mm. I read because I was in middle school, and there was a circular rack of Westerns next to my desk, and I was in the English class, and that one was at my height, and it was white and thin, and I was like, okay, I'll give it a try, and then I was just like, whoa, dude cuddle him put him in blankets <laughs> oh. was, why are you letting this what's happening and i was so obsessed with this no one else i knew knew anything about this book but i was alone i became a western fiend for a while because i read that book i was like where are there other dudes like this walking around by themselves waiting for children and families to save them and serve them food <laughs> <laughs> and did you find others there are no a lot others but one of my favorites from my high school days was kwai cheng kane who is very problematic very problematic in many ways but he has this thing where he just sort of goes about his life and he shows up in people's spaces and he drinks tea and sort of invites this quietness which is part of what i really like about that it's not a lot of tropes that will hang out in a quiet space that aren't also sort of like pins Sticking you from a different direction. Yeah, I was going to
0: yeah, say, I yeah. feel like if you're looking for that trope, you're going to find a lot of it in manga and anime. Or cheeseball 80s shows like Highway to
1: Heaven.
3: Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, folks yeah. a little longer. All shows? I'm imagining is a dude wandering along a highway with yeah. a duffel bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. yeah.
4: But he has to do something. He can't just be a schmo, right? Yeah, right. Part of, <laughs> part of what was appealing about these characters is, They have a lot of substance, right? Right. But they can't necessarily access it, because in order to get there, they need community.
3: Well, and I think that's actually an interesting point, because if you are a dude wandering along the side of a highway with a duffel bag, you are either a... Gentle Male Vagabond or a Murder hobo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, the question is, which is it? <laughs> and then there's Sorry. the weird
1: sci-fi version of this trope. I feel like I would be remiss not to mention Quantum Leap. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually, really actually thought about too. Quantum Leap also. High
3: five. <laughs>
1: because even though he's not literally wandering a highway, mm, right? wandering into people's lives and that mm-hmm. community piece, they save him as he saves them. Yeah. He's wandering
2: space and time. Yeah, I
4: the interesting that kind of fits in with this too, doesn't it? He does. I don't like does. do. I don't see females in this role, so I, pr- I should probably write these books because <laughs> I oh, yeah. never. They're almost always broader genders for this idea because it is very. It's this dude. He's probably middle aged. Yep. Yeah. He has to be old enough to have had experience to have gotten himself into a situation that he is a vagabond or is like Samurai Jack, wherever the heck he's supposed to be. Also you, space and time, I yeah, think. Yeah, like, something has to have happened for that to be
0: available. You had to have seen some shit. Right. I don't know, I just want to research this trope. I don't think I've ever thought of this <laughs> as a trope. I mean, it goes way back to prehistory with wandering monks. Yeah. And,
1: and real samurai I stories, mean, it's right? yeah.
0: absolutely a trope, but it's absolutely there. And I guess it's just one of those ones that I never really saw. familiar with it, but kind of not. Like, I never really thought about it.
2: I think that's one of the qualities of certain tropes, is that they're so omnipresent and obvious that you never really think about them even existing
1: or putting a label on them. But I like thinking about the fact that there's this anti-trope that we never see, and Mm. it's that woman wanderer. And I think it's mm-hmm. because women are representative of community and family,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so they can't be wandering on their own in need of right. that kind of saving, and similarly rushing in to save
4: someone. So write it, Hawaii. because yeah. I know do. do. Yeah, I see that story. Mine will probably be me trying to carry the granny carts of grannies up the stairs of the train. <laughs> because they refuse if I ask them they're like no I don't need your help and then some dude will come by and just grab it out of her hands and carry it up and she'll be like thank you
3: well (laughs) I was actually thinking about that in terms of is part of the reason that we don't see women in this trope because when you see women wandering alone it's a completely different trope Mm -hmm. yes And it's around safety and Mm -hmm. lack of independence and lack of power and waiting to be saved rather than being the one who does the saving. So I'll read your books. Please write them. (laughs) Heavy. (laughs) But actually,
0: your tropes fit really well to the one that I was going to talk about, which is, and I stole this from TV Tropes because I couldn't figure out a way to word it, but it's basically called family of choice. Yes. It's almost the same as yours, but it's now imagine all those lonely people get together Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and create a family unit. Mm -hmm. And they might do it willingly. They might not even realize that they're doing it. That kind of storyline might actually just be my absolute favorite. So obvious examples would be Firefly or Teen Titans, the first animated series, not the current one. (laughs) anime is slayers harry potter buffy in some ways they create the family unit with the scoobies absolutely and i just think that it's such a romantic and comforting and wonderful idea that Mm -hmm. people can still come together and different people can come together it gives me the warm fuzzies and i just really like the sort of i don't want to say struggle but it's that really different personalities getting to know each other and the complications that that brings Mm. and yet they still think it's worthwhile to go through that difficult relationship the best example i can always think of whenever i think about this trope is cowboy bebop Mm. which to me like if you ever ask me i'm always like it's the greatest anime that ever there was Mm. because it is this beautiful story about these people coming together maybe not necessarily at first for the right reasons but they do create a family and they don't even realize it until It's a rather tragic ending, so I don't want to ruin it for everybody. But that is my ultimate example, Mm. and some of the characters fight that relationship the entire way through the story. Mm. But then they realize that there was no way around it because they did need each other. It's great. It is a really, really good series. Mm. Have you watched it yet? Finish it. Yes, I did. Everybody should watch it. Uh, I feel like a a more (laughs) modern example is Runaways. The yes, comics by Brian K. Vaughan. I mm-hmm. had that as an example yeah. too. That Gardens of the Galaxy is the most obvious popular one right now. It's so obvious that there are literal
3: parenting moments in, the, especially the second. In the, yeah, the most recent one. It's, right, they really hammer that home. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Including the character that fights it the whole way mm-hmm. until they sort of have this epiphany and right, right. And the
0: literal parenting of Baby Groot mm. when they pass him around to each other. Mm. They each have these little parenting moments with
3: him because their family. Well, and something that's probably another trope that aligns with that is the unexpected parent, mm-hmm. right? And when you have the reveal that Star-Lord's looking for his dad all this time and his whole life wanted to know about his dad, and his dad turns out to be a scumbag, and really the dad he had was the scumbag who was right in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to look
1: further
3: than the scumbag right.
1: who was there all the <laughs> The scumbag who was
0: there the whole time. That, I think, was the best translation of that relationship yeah. I've ever (laughs) (laughs) well done a little mini recap there so we spent a lot of time talking about the tropes that we all love and where we make those connections emotionally and story wise but I was curious to talk about tropes that might be problematic or ones that we're tired of seeing there's two parts to this there's a trope and there's a cliche Mm -hmm. so what is the difference between those two also can a trope used the wrong way consistently over and over again be problematic or maybe a little dangerous.
3: God, I feel like this could be its own whole new thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it a
0: little briefly, and then if we find that we want to talk about it more, we can definitely expand in our conversation. Well, but,
4: I think uh, the killing of the mothers through the entire Disney yeah,
0: <laughs> archive. What, what is something? Is I can something. tell you quite a bit
4: about what that is. <laughs> saying yeah. something, but... Why be so consistent about it? I've read about it, Mm -hmm. so I understand some of it. But it is, it's pretty curious.
2: It's kind of a half-measure orphaning. Part of the reason that orphans are so popular in children's movies and just a lot of media, especially aimed at younger kids, is it allows that character to be the hero. They don't have that safety net as Mm -hmm. much anymore. And there is this notion... In our culture, which I do not agree with, that the dad can be kind of a less-than-ideal parent. Some Disney dads are completely absent. You don't know what happened to them, like Dumbo's father. Who knows? But the mom, just by the nature of being a mother, would have to be a competent parent. I've actually even seen i think well-intentioned fan comics about this Mm. which were along the lines of what would the disney movies be like if the princess's mothers were still around and every single one of them would absolutely destroy the narrative beauty's mom would be saying nope she has stockholm syndrome i'm calling off this wedding Hmm. jasmine's mom would be saying yeah of course she can leave the palace she has a pet tiger everything's fine And the logical conclusion of that seems to be, and that's why you can't have Mm.
0: mother characters in these
2: films for children.
0: I actually see (laughs) that differently. In my head, it was always, Mama's gotta go because Princess needs to fulfill the feminine main ideal in the story. And that's how I always took it. I think that's part of it, too. Because she doesn't have a mama So she's got to be mom to all the birds and the forest creatures and be this ideal feminine, right? I think with Snow White, you really, really get that idea. Yeah, she's
1: this very much this mother figure, and Cinderella. Well, I was right. going to say, but the absent mothers of princesses is not the same as say like Bambi's mom also gets shot. Yeah, <laughs> Bambi that's is true. not fulfilling right. the yeah, fairy but <laughs> yeah. Bambi's mom needs right. to go
4: curiously because his name is Bambi and he's a deer. He could be, you know, he's whatever. The gender of the deer. A boy. <laughs>
1: And so I think the other side of it is this idea that the ultimate thing that a woman needs to be is a mother.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: That's the
4: the trope that I would like (laughs) to see most go
1: is this idea that the ultimate fulfillment of womanhood is that one must be a mother. And there are many examples, and sometimes anti-examples, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. like Black Widow giving up her fertility has somehow now turned her into a monster. She's a monster. Because yeah. she can no longer fulfill the feminine ideal. So, that's the
0: one. I think that's such an interesting one, <laughs> that I think we should talk about it. That's a whole podcast. Seriously, in the future podcast. So, we're going to wrap it up and say good night, but I absolutely think that we're probably going to revisit this again in a future podcast. So for those of you who are listening, thanks a bunch and we'll see you next month. Thanks. Hi everyone, Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the Ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including Ladies' Con. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.